Take your Bibles, if you would, this morning, turn to the book of Revelation, last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter number three. And if you're able to this morning, physically, let's stand for the reading of God's word. I was thinking as Chelsea was singing that song, you ever try in your life to, to connect the dots, try to make things work? Anybody ever done that? And a lot of times things don't work out the way we want them to the way we expect them to. It's so much better when we just let God do His work. And I have always found that when I get anxious, I need to just wait on Him, rest in Him, have full assurance that everything's going to work out for good to them that love Him, to them that are the called according to His purpose. And God always works things together. Truth is, whether we can see His hand or not, He's always working behind the scenes. God's always working on our behalf. And this morning we're in the book of Revelation. We've been going through this series on the seven churches of Asia Minor. These were actual little, literal churches. Uh, historically, you can see that this is the periods that the church of Jesus Christ has gone through over all these years. And today we come to the sixth of the seven churches which means next week we will conclude this series. I've enjoyed it. I hope that God's been speaking to you about what a church should do and what a church should not do. Where our focus should be and where we should just walk away from some things. And so this is a great study this morning out of Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse number 7, and we'll read down to verse number 13. And this morning, I'm going to do something a little different on Sunday morning. I'm going to read the first verse, and then I want you collectively, responsibly to read verse 8, then I'll read verse 9, then you read verse 10, and we'll do this down to verse number 13, all right? So if you have a copy of the Word of God, I'll begin reading. I'll read verse 7, you read verse 8, and we'll go from there. Verse 7, the Bible says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Let's read verse 13 together. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. 
unto the churches. And today's message is entitled, if you saw as we were reading, An Open Door. I like doors that are open better than doors that are closed. But there are both kinds. And you'll see that in the message this morning. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you for this day. Pray that you'd bless the Word of God, bless the reading and the preached Word. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to hearts. Help us as a church to see a great model this morning in this church known as the Church at Philadelphia. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for reading the Word of God this morning. You know, this church known as the Church in Philadelphia, some of you maybe have been to Pennsylvania and been to the city of Philadelphia. But this precedes the United States of America. This precedes the state of Pennsylvania. This was a church that existed during a time that true Christian churches that just even like today in some regards may have been weak numerically and may not have had the resources financially, it was amazing that if you go back and study history, this church was the church that existed during what we call our modern missions movement. If you've ever looked at how missions spread during this time period, you find that it was remarkable what God began doing in people's hearts. It was also known as the period that we saw what is called the Great Awakenings. And God began to shake continents, and there were revivals during this time period uh, as the church in Philadelphia uh, represents those revivals that took place not only in Britain and England, but here in the United States of America. Philadelphia was a city, if you look back at this time, it was a city named for a king by the name of Attalus II. He was the king of, we looked at earlier, Pergamus or Pergamum. And this man was renowned, think about this now, he was a king, but he was known for the fact that he loved his brother, Humanus. Now, most brothers don't love each other. But he loved his brother, Humanus, and because he loved his brother, he, that King Attalus, became known, or they began to call him Philadelphos, which is actually a word that means one who loves his brother. If you take the word Philadelphia or Philadelphos, Phileo is a word that means love. Now, there's, there's different types of love. Of course, God's love for us is an agape love. It's an unconditional love. A phileo love, according to the Word of God, is a love that a brother has for another brother. And, and you think about, uh, you are my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, and I love you because Christ first loved us. So you have Philadelphia or Philadelphos, phileo is a, to love, and adelphos is the word for brother. So it's the love of a brother, one who loves his brother. Do you know that's why the word of God tells us that you and I as Christians, that we ought to love one another. Jesus said it this way, by this all men shall know that you are one of my disciples, that you have love one for another. If you have aught between another brother or sister in Christ this morning, that's not of God. That's of the devil. We need to make sure that we're loving one another. And this 
this king loved his brother. And so the city of Philadelphia became known as the city of brotherly love. I've been to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I've seen a lot of love, but not that kind of love. Uh, I've seen a lot of filth, a lot of sin, a lot of, uh, a lot of degradation that's there in that city. But this city was a city known as the city of brotherly love. And it was to this city that Jesus writes this portion of Revelation where, listen, unlike some of the other churches we've already looked at, Jesus doesn't come to the church in Philadelphia with words of complaint. Matter of fact, he comes to them with words of praise. He praises them for the church they are. He comes to them with words of promise. A little different if there was any of these churches that I think that our church should look at and say, listen, that's the kind of church that we want to model our church after. It would be the church in Philadelphia. This morning, that's what I want you to think of as we begin looking at, first of all, the master of this church, the master. Now, again, the Bible says in verse number seven, it says here, look at the words again, and to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, these things saith he, notice that is holy. And I want you to notice the master that is writing here gives some attributes. He not only that he is holy, but the Bible says that he is true. And I want you to see his attributes. See, there were two ways that he describes himself to this church. And these are still ways that we know God today. I want you to see these attributes because the first one where he says he that is holy, he describes himself as the sinless one. The word there giving indication that he is pure, that he is without spot. Peter said, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Jesus is speaking to a church that was striving in their day to be holy. Listen to me this morning, Christian. A church that is striving to be pure. A church that is to be holy, even in the midst of a corrupt and a sinful world. And he's saying to them, it is possible in this day and hour to live for God, to be a holy people, to keep yourselves chaste and pure. And listen, the reason that it is possible is because the one that is writing to them, the one that is the master of the church, he that is holy has the power to help us to be holy. And so notice he is writing to them and telling them about himself and his attribute is that he is sinless, but not only he that is holy, but he says he that is true. Now, I love that word true. Here's what it means. Genuine. The real deal. You know, there's a lot of imitation in this world today, is there not? You ever had imitation potatoes? I mean, come on. Give me the real thing, you know? I, you know, a lot of times they give you this and that that's imitation. I see oftentimes things trying to pass off as the real thing, but Jesus is the genuine article. And the, the believers that were in Philadelphia, they were surrounded by false gods. They were surrounded by false religion. And by the way, we are too. Everywhere you look, some god, they're worshiping this, they're worshiping that. And they don't set them up as little wooden statues. Uh, they look like boats. They look like houses. 
They look like uh, timeshares. I mean, on and on. Anything that comes between us and God is an idol. It's something that we're worshiping. And the church in Philadelphia, those believers, they were surrounded by all this false worship and false gods. And Jesus was telling them, hey, listen, because you are mine and because you have left those things and you're not a part of those things, you did not waste your time coming to me and fellowshipping with me. And he's telling them that they didn't have to go back to those idols, that they did not make a mistake in turning their back on those idols. Because does the Bible say in Acts 4, 12, look at this, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, those false gods, that false worship, that's not the way. I'm the genuine article. I'm the real deal. But I want you to see here because Jesus is talking to them about that he is true, that he is the real one. I mean, again, there's a lot of things that are substitutes in our lives, but Jesus is not a substitute for anything. When I think about everything that comes along with Jesus Christ, listen, for 33 years, I can tell you that salvation is real. I still remember the day I got saved, and I'm going to tell you something. I'm as saved today as the day that I trusted Christ as my Savior. Uh, God's Word is, is, is real. Uh, the grace of God is real. Hey, how about this one? Heaven is real. And for those that don't believe, hell is real. And when I think about, listen, what we have, the power of God is real to us, and I see His attributes that he is describing to this church in Philadelphia, and he wants himself to be known as he that is holy and he that is true. But not only does he share his attributes, but notice secondly, he shows them his authority. His authority. And here's how he describes it. Look back in verse number 7. It says, He that hath the key of David, he that openeth, look at it, and no man shut it. And then says this, it says, and shutteth and no man openeth. Now, you know, this is, this is my key ring. It really is a ring. And I've got a lot of keys here on this key ring. I've got a key to uh, a, a car that I have. I've got a key to my house. I've got a key to my other car. I've got a I've got a, a, a fob here to the place that we live in to get in. I've got a key to my, my dad's truck right here. I've got, a, I've got another key to unlock something on my dad's truck. I've got, I've got keys to various things, and you probably do too. But Jesus, who is holy and is true, has the key of David. Now, that got me. I mean, I've studied the Word of God. I, I know who David is. But why would he describe himself here as the one that has the key of David? And I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning with me. Hold your place here, but go over to Isaiah chapter 22. Isaiah chapter 22. We'll just do a little Bible study right here. It's okay if we do a Bible study in church, isn't it? Right? <clears throat> Isaiah 22. Now, now. I want you to look at the last five verses of Isaiah 22, beginning at verse 20. And, and I want you to see if you, you see what I saw this week. 
thinking about the key of David because he's the one that's in control. He's the one that opens the doors. And look what it says here in verse 20. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Elikim, the son of Elkiah. I will clothe him with thy robe, strengthen him with thy girdle, and I will commit thy government into his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah, and the key of the house of who? David. David will I lay upon his what? Shoulder. Now watch this wording. So he shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. And he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. And they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the issue, all vessels of small quantity. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed and be what? Cut down and fall. And the burden that was upon it shall be cut off. For the Lord hath spoken it. Now, if you know anything about the book of Daniel, you probably got some lights going on right now. Because clearly this is an Old Testament prophecy. It's a picture of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see here that the Bible says in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his what? Shoulder. Interesting. God sent his son, and you know what he did? Here's what Isaiah wrote. He set him as a nail in a sure place. But after he did that, the Bible says he was cut off. He was cut off. This is a picture of the cross. Now, Jesus is described as the one that will have the key of David. What does that mean? that he will have the key. Well, look, go back to this physically. What do keys mean? Keys give us authority. That's my house. I have the key to that house. They also give us access. I can go into that house because I have a key to unlock the door. And I also have availability that if anyone else wants to go in, I can let them in. I can close the door. Are you with me this morning? We're just kind of doing a Bible study here. So the Bible describes the one with the key, listen now, is the one that will decide who could or could not have access to the king. And Jesus is the one that has the key to David, the key of David. Now, what kind of keys does Jesus have? Well, if you study other places in the Word of God, even here in this book that we're studying, Revelation 1 and verse 18 the Bible says there, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of what? Yeah, look at that. The keys of hell and of death. Jesus said regarding that, having the keys of death and hell, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And here's the question that goes along with that. Believest thou this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? That he that was dead shall live because of Jesus? 
He also, look at, he says in John 10 and verse 9, I am the door. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. So the Bible tells us that Jesus is the one that carries the keys, but look at, he is also the one that controls the doors. Now follow this, because Jesus is the one that's in the business of opening doors and closing doors. Let me give you an example of this in the Word of God. Look there in your notes, Acts 16. The Bible says when, this is talking about the Apostle Paul trying to do what God had given him to do in his day that he was serving the Lord. It says when they had gone throughout Pergia in the region of Galatia, notice these words, they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the Word of God. You know what that means? God closed the door. Now watch. And it says here, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go to Bithynia. Here it is again. But the Spirit suffered them not, wouldn't open the door. And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And the Bible doesn't say Paul had pizza. A vision appeared. In other words, God was showing him an open door. Now look what it says. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Folks, listen. God is in the business of opening doors and closing doors. He carries the key. And he controls the doors. And when God opens a door in your life, listen, you have one responsibility. If God opened it, run through it. That's what you need to do. Don't stand there and deliberate. Don't go, well, I'm just thinking about it. No, if God opens the door, you need to act upon what God is doing. How tragic is it going to be when we get to heaven one day and we see what we could have done if we would have stepped through some of those doors that God opened? How sad we'll miss out on all those opportunities. But I can also tell you this, that when God closes a door, don't try to force it open. A lot of times we just try to make things work. We want things to go our way. My wife and I, we've just got to the place, and and maybe it's just taken us all these years to get to this place, but we just figure, hey, listen, if if the Lord wants us to have it, then it'll happen. I'm not going to try to finagle. I'm not going to try to barter. I'm just going to trust God. If God opens the door, we'll go through it. If God closes the door, and that's the way I've tried to live my life, and that's the way the church in Philadelphia was. God had opened a door, and this church had stepped through that door. You don't want to be where God doesn't want you to be. But look what it says here. If God opens the door, we must work. If he shuts the door, we must wait. A lot of times it's hard. When God closed the door for Paul, Paul was thinking, Lord, you've called me to preach the gospel. There are people that have never heard about you. How can I go tell them if you've closed this door? Because God was working to open another door. And sometimes in our lives, just like in the church in Philadelphia, we just have to understand he is the one that opens the doors. He is the one with the authority. You know why? Look here. Because he's the one with the key. You see, we don't have the key. He has the key. 
And I want you to notice, thirdly, his assessment. Because look what it says in the beginning of verse number 8, back in our passage. The Bible says this, I know thy, what? Works. Now, remember, we've, we've looked at these other five churches to this point, and there were some things that those other churches were doing that the Lord wasn't real proud of. But the church of Philadelphia was a church that he comes to with no complaints. He says he's making his assessment here about them. Jesus knew everything about this church in Philadelphia. He saw their works. He saw their motives. And listen, you and I need to understand, as it says in Hebrews 4.13, look at this. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God knows everything about you. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what you're thinking right now. There's a thought. Some of you are thinking about the roast for lunch right now. Shame on you. You need to be feasting on the Word of God. <clears throat> but here's a, don't be sounding spiritual over here, all right? But here's the thing is, God knows, He knew everything about this church in Philadelphia, and He was pleased with it. God had given Him an open door. Now, I want you to see not only the master of the church, but look at some of the moments that God saw about this church. And I want you to look back in Revelation chapter 3, and I want you to see how these moments, first of all, included opportunities. I'm thankful for opportunities that God gives to us. You know what I look at as being the pastor of Bible Baptist Church? It's an opportunity. I mean, you know, you might not think about it that way, but I think of it as an opportunity to preach the Word of God, to love people, to, to bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to see the work of God go forward. Hey, listen, God gives us opportunities. It just depends on how you look at them. But I, what I see here is how God began to give them an open door. Look at verse number 8. He says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. He says to them, look at the verse here. He says, for thou hast little strength, and hast kept my word, and has not denied my name. Now, th those are some tremendous statements there, because when he says to them, he says, you're of little strength, he means that they're just small in number. It wasn't like this was some anemic church. Now, they may have lacked as far as numerically and politically and, and, and even financially, but listen, one thing this church was doing was, they were impacting their city for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, you look around our church, our church isn't a big church, but God can use this church to impact this community and those around this community with the gospel. See, he says, I, I know thy works. He says, thou hast little strength, but you are doing things. And then notice he says that they had kept his word. You know what that means about this church? That they were staying pure in their doctrine. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, God will not, He will not, He will not bless a church that gets away from this book. God has promised, if you keep my word, I will bless you. And that's exactly what they were doing in their doctrine. Paul said to Timothy, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this, taking heed to yourself, and under your doctrine, he says, you shall both save yourself and them that hear thee. Folks, listen, we need the doctrine of the word of God. 
You, didn't, you don't need my cute little stories. You don't need my opinions. What you need is the Word of God. And this church had kept the Word of God. And God was blessing them because of that. He opened the door and they were, yes, they lacked in strength. They were small. They were impacting their city. They were keeping the Word of God. Look at this other thing he says. They had not denied his name. You know what that means? They weren't ashamed to call themselves Christians. Hey, I identify with Jesus. We're going to have two people at the end of the service come this morning to follow the Lord in what's called believer's baptism. If you're saved this morning and you've never been scripturally baptized, you know what it is? It's a way to identify yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, with his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the doctrines of the word of God. You see, they were not ashamed to be called a Christian. Isaiah said, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore, shall I not be confounded. Therefore, have I set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. You know what this church was doing, Philadelphia? They were actively spreading the word of God in their area. They were telling people about what Jesus meant to them. They had stepped through that open door. They were doing what they could. And God was blessing them because they were being faithful in their day. If we, here in Bible Baptist Church, if we make the most out of the opportunities that God has given to us, and we keep the word of God, and we not, do not deny the name of Jesus Christ, then you know what God will do? God will continue to bless our church as well. I love this, how God was honoring them in those moments that they had. They included opportunities, but look, along with the opportunities, you know what comes? Opposition. You see, that anytime some church is doing what God has instructed them by his word to do, the devil is not going to just sit by and do nothing. And the opposition is always going to be there. And here in verse number 9, it's stated this way, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. You know what he's saying there? I love the church. I love my people. He says there are people out there that are opposing the work. They're opposing people like you that, that, that are, are being true to me. These were Jews that were living in this area of Philadelphia, and they were persecuting these Christians. Jesus tells them this. He says, look, I'm aware that there are people that are trying to mistreat you. I'm aware of the fact that there are people that are lying about you, making things up about you. But can I tell you, church in Philadelphia, that one day your enemies will bow at my feet? The Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus wanted them to know that he was not only in control of this synagogue of Satan, but he was in control of the critics in their day also. Look at John 3 and verse 20. For everyone that do, do, doeth hate evil, hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Folks, when people ridicule us, when people persecute us for being a Christian, we need to respond the exact same way Jesus responded. 
And here's how he responded. Look at what he said. Matthew 5. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that, that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Folks, there's a day coming that God will get the last word. Look at Romans 12, verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. See, I, I see here that God had given them opportunities, and I see the opposition, but notice thirdly that it also included, these moments included optimism. Look at verse number 10. It says, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now, it makes the statement here about those that dwell upon the earth. The church in Philadelphia, they had endured a lot of persecution by this time, and God was telling them that I'm going to spare you. Look what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 2. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust uh, under the day of judgment to be punished. See, there's going to come a day that all unsaved people will face God's wrath in what is known as the time of tribulation. Now, will the church, God's people, go through that time of tribulation not according to the Word of God? The Bible tells us clearly, the Bible says in Romans 5, verse 9, much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. And so we find here that, yes, that there is opposition to those opportunities. But I see the optimism that is there that the Lord says, listen, you won't go through what unsaved people will go through one day. And so notice, I see one last thing here, that those moments included obligations. Look at verse number 11. Behold, I come quickly. Now here's the obligations. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Now, I want you to see what he's saying here is that they were to look out for two things. Believers today should be looking for these very same things. Number one, we need to be watching and waiting for the coming of the Lord. The Lord could come back today. And the second thing he tells them to do is to watch their walk with the Lord. You see, it's important how we live our lives. It's important what we do we who are saved, we need to be ready to meet him. And we must not allow others around us to cause us to become just like them. There ought to be something different about us and this old world. Because listen, there's going to come a day. Remember, I already told you, the unsaved, they will not be spared from the wrath of God. But every one of us that are saved will stand one day before the Lord at what's known as the judgment seat of Christ. The Bema seat. The Bible says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You see, as a church, we really don't know the full extent of our influence in this world that we live in. But someday, we will know the full extent of it. Someday, we will know what we have done for the Lord, and we may not know until we get to heaven someday, 
But until that day, what we need to realize is we have the same obligations that the church in Philadelphia had. And that is that we need to be looking for the Lord's coming. And then we need to be careful about our walk with the Lord. You see, I see the master of the church, and I see the moments that he gave to this church. But I want you to see the last thing before he finishes with this church is the motion that he makes to this church in verse number 12. Now look back at the verse. Him that overcometh will I, notice this is God talking, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I, God, will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Now, there's a lot of great things in that verse right there. I get excited every time I read a verse like that. Because, listen, I can tell you this, it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. And it's all about what he is going to do for us. So when he closes this letter, here's what he gives them. He gives them hope for the future. Folks, look, I, I know what the political scene looks like in this world, and I know what things look like in North Korea. And I'll be honest with you, that might happen in this world, but I know who's sitting on the throne. And he's given us hope for the future, and here's how he gives us hope. Look at the first thing. He pledges his support. He pledges support. He tells the believers in Philadelphia that he's going to set them up as a pillar in God's temple and that they will go out no more. He promises them that they will enjoy. And here, look here, here's the idea of a pillar, support. That he would support them, that we will enjoy stability, that we are placed on a solid rock and that you and I have a sure destination. Look what the Bible says in Proverbs, uh, excuse me, Psalm 40. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a what? Upon a rock. Are you saved today? Have you been set upon the rock of Jesus Christ? Has he established your goings, put a new song in your mouth? You see, not only has he set us up on a solid rock, but he's given us a sure destination. Look what it says in John 5, 24. Jesus said these words, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto what? That's what happens when you get saved. See, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But when we get saved, According to God's word, we pass from death unto life. You see, I love the, the, the pledge that he makes to them that even though this world hates Christians, and even though the devil hates us, and every passing day the increased attacks on Christianity, but in heaven, you know what we're referred to? We are the redeemed of the Lord. And the Bible says this, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. See, he pledges support, but notice he promises safety. Here's how he does it. He puts his name on them. 
Now, you know what that means? That's a sign of ownership. We are His. We've been bought with a price. And because of what God has done for us, we have been redeemed. We are His forever. I love Psalm 24. Look at verse 1. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. Everything in this world is God's. And notice, He promises safety. He places the name of the city on them because you know why? That will be their destination. We might be living on this earth today, but listen, this world is not our home. We're just passing through, right? The Bible says in Philippians 3, our conversation is in heaven. I mean, I love it. The Bible says from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The world did not see the value of the church in Philadelphia and the influence they had, but God sees it, and God was honoring them for being His faithful servants. The church in Philadelphia had no security in that city that they lived in, but they have eternal security in Jesus Christ. We that are saved, we have been sealed under the day of redemption, the Word of God says. Now today, when you look at this, and I, I, was, I just spent a lot of time thinking about this, but here we are in 2017. We are not the church in Philadelphia. But as I look at this church in Philadelphia, just like they were blessed, we are blessed. And I see how God is still working. And the Bible says this, For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. I really believe that God has still got the door open. That He still has opportunities for us as we wait for the Lord. And what we must do is see and step through that door and see the opportunities that God has. Listen, see the opportunities, not the obstacles. I'm looking at what God can do, and the Bible says my God can do anything. With Him, all things are possible. See, we must be faithful in our day. And as I think about this church in Philadelphia, you know what I think of? I think of an open door. God will close some doors, but this certainly was a church that God had opened a door. Let's bow our heads this morning with our heads bowed. If there ever was a church that we should pattern our church after, it would be this church in Philadelphia. And I hope in your heart this morning that you know Christ as your Savior. And I think about the opportunity that we have, we who are saved. But if you're not saved this morning, according to the Word of God, you will come under the condemnation. You will experience the wrath of God someday if you do not trust Christ as your Savior. And I pray that everybody this morning has been saved, and according to the Word of God, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you're here this morning and you know Christ as your Savior, I wonder as a, as a testimony to that salvation, would you slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I know for sure that heaven would be my home someday because I've trusted on Him. Would you slip your hand up? What a wonderful sight all the way across the auditorium this morning. You can put your hands down. 
But if you're here this morning and you did not raise your hand, we want to give what's called an invitation. I came to church for years and didn't really understand anything about what an invitation is. But it's an opportunity God is calling out to you today. If you're here, even if you've been attending church, even if you grew up in church, even if your family went to church all your life, and you've never accepted the gift of God, which is eternal life, the Bible clearly tells us that we're all sinners and that Jesus died for our sins. And by faith, we can repent. We can ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins, to come into our hearts, and to be our Savior. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here today and you don't know Him as your Savior, and God has made it clear to you this morning that you need to be saved, you want to go to heaven, and you'd like to accept eternal life through Jesus today. And we'd like to give you that opportunity this morning. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, let's stand to our feet this morning. With no one looking around. As we're standing this morning and everybody is in a spirit of prayer this morning. If you are here today and you're not saved, would you step out at this time? and come to an old-fashioned altar and ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins and to be your Savior. If you need to trust Him today, would you come? We have a man with a man, a lady with a lady that can take the Word of God and show you how you can have a home in heaven someday. And if you, if you are saved, maybe you'd like to come this morning and just say, Lord, I know that the opposition has been after me. But I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful to a God who is genuine. I want to be holy because God is holy. Lord, help our church to stay true to the Word of God and to never waver. God, I desire your blessings, whatever it is this morning. If God has spoken to your hearts, would you step out? The altars are open this morning. Would you come? As the piano plays... If God has spoken to you, would you come at this time?